Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hold on a second. I'm not ready yet. Good golly. We got a lot to get to today, and I'm still trying to prepare as I had to do a Google search right at the beginning of the program here. Hang tight. My computer's running really slow. We'll get to it in a second. Welcome into the program. What's going on? Hey, happy Tuesday to you. It is the post-Monday celebration. There's a lot to get to. My computer's... I love doing um, work on the fly here. We're working on some of the live stream, and the live stream that we have, we tried to change the audio source a little bit because there was a kind of a hum in the background for those that were listening online, and we were trying to fix that. So I was doing that on the fly over the last couple minutes during the top of the hour, but I think we got it. It might be a little bit quiet right now. Don't you worry. We'll be able to uh, fix that and get it going here a little bit more. Welcome in. What's going on? Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, of course, on radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting, however you watch or listen to the program. We love you to death. You're Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Coming up on the program, Dr. Daniel Holler will be joining us on the show at the bottom. We'll talk about distrust in the medical industry. Do you trust doctors anymore? Do you trust hospitals any longer? And if not, then what are you doing to compensate for that? What are you doing as an alternative from trusting the uh, mainstream medical institutions? As he is a doctor and he practices at hospitals, what is he seeing from the inside. We'll talk about that. Obviously, the news not helping the industry at all after the news from uh, Pfizer coming out and saying that they're openly. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the letter. They've actually responded back to the uh, Project Veritas uh, project where they've actually released the audio of the guy working with Pfizer openly saying that they do gain a function for the COVID-19 uh, virus, strengthening the virus in order for them to strengthen their vaccines and sell more vaccines because they've made a buttload of money from the vaccines, which so makes sense as a business. Why don't we continue to make people scared? We make a virus that potentially kills people, and then they're forced to come and buy our product again. Uh, Pfizer generated $57 billion in combined sales last year, including with the COVID-19 vaccine. But it's free, Andy. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's what they try to tell you. It's totally free. Don't worry. Just keep getting that crazy shot, and uh, you'll ne- never have to spend a dime out of pocket in order to get it. Out of that $57 billion in combined sales last year, 60% of that was the COVID-19 vaccine and the Paxlov- Paxlovid antiviral pills that t- accounted for 60% of their total revenue. But... It's not enough. We need more than that $57 billion in total revenue sales last year. So we're going to do gain a function, make the virus stronger, threaten the humanity with a deadly virus that could kill more people, and then say, hey, you need to get the Pfizer vaccine in order for you to stay safe and healthy with your annual or biannual booster shots. Makes you really trust the medical industry, doesn't it? We'll get to that here in just a little bit. we got a lot more to get to. Tomorrow's the big day as well with Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy. Who will break first on that game of chicken? That's the big one there, isn't it? 
who's going to break on that one. I So I was looking as we were getting into this, and I'm trying to find the right guy here. So uh, that's not the right guy at all. Uh, full cast and crew. Anybody, show of hands, saw the show Raising Hope. And I'm trying to find, who. what's the guy's name that's in Raising Hope? There's a new show out, and the reason I'm trying to find the... Uh, here we go. Lucas, is that him? Maybe that's him here. Give me a second. Or maybe it's Garrett. Nope, that's not the right. It must be Garrett. So there's a, if anybody remembers the TV show, I'm doing this on the fly, as you can tell. Uh, there's a show Raising Hope back in the day. And uh, it was a great program. I liked it. It was a fun sitcom, really co- uh, very comedic. It was great. Uh, well, there's a cast that's now starting a new show that for the first time, this is brand new and i'm so glad this is being done just years into it because normally it takes 10 to 15 years for something to be funny and for us to poke fun of it we're now just three years out of the into the COVID 19 pandemic and now there's a new tv show that's poking fun at COVID 19 <laughs> i know i know here it is garrett dillahunt I don't know if you've heard of him. He's been in a few different movies. If you ever watch Looper with Bruce Willis, he was one of the bad guys in there, which is interesting because he's a comedian more. Uh, I really like him, Garrett Dillahunt, but he is starring in this new show. And now I, of course, can't find the show that I'm looking for because you really need to watch this. This is going to drive me nuts. IMDb have changed their uh, their entire layout for their website on uh, here we go. Actor Sprung. There it is. Sprung. He plays uh, Jack. There's nine episodes. And Sprung is a new TV show sitcom that's about 40 minutes a piece where he gets out of prison uh, on Freevee is the streaming site. So him and along a, a bunch of other individuals end up getting out of prison. If you remember, during the early stages of COVID-19, right around 2020 in April, May, June, when COVID hit and we were so supposed to not be around each other in large portions, that the government ended up releasing a lot of criminals out of jail that weren't a major threat because they didn't want them into the institution and being contained in these areas where they could spread this deadly virus. So the 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 new show is this guy and a whole bunch of others that get out of jail, they have no place to go, and they end up uh, trying to live in the COVID world where they haven't been in society for a long time, and they're trying to survive while hearing about this crazy deadly threat of a virus where they're scared to death. And it's a hilarious show. I've seen two episodes of it now last night, and uh, highly recommend that one. It's on Freevee, and a really long, ridiculous build-up to this program of uh, watching the show Sprung. So (laughs) if you have that on any of your streaming sites, I definitely recommend that one. All right, I want to get into what's trending for these stories of today. What's and yes, I, I do truly believe that comedy is the best medicine for some of the shenanigans and with how stupid people acted during the COVID-19 pandemic with hoarding all the toilet paper, walking around with thinking that wearing masks was somehow going to solve anything, wearing gloves to the store when you're touching everything with the same glove and then being like, oh, the plastic barrier between me and the cashier is going to stop the virus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we saw how well that actually worked out and how stupid people looked when they were actually doing that kind of garbage. Uh, in our trending story today, I want to step away from policy for just a moment, as we do have a lot going on in Washington, D.C., and we're not going to lose sight of that because it. Oh, I'm telling you, we are on a battlefront that we haven't seen in a very long time, and the opportunity for us to do some positive in Washington, D.C. that we haven't seen in a long time either. But there's a piece out of The Atlantic, theatlantic.com, that I had to comment on. Because I'm here to tell you, Democrats, while you continue to promote socialism and uh, hate the rich and let's go after them and there's no opportunity for Americans and the American dream is dead and there's no equal opportunity for anyone to make a living as they want to, 
that you have killed that. And the time frame proves it. The history proves it. And we prove it on a daily basis that there is absolutely an opportunity for everyone to have the American dream. It's equal opportunity to do so, not the equal outcome, which is what conservatives are all about. You're killing the incentive. And even while you try to prove against the point, you end up proving your point, which shows how stupid your arguments really are. Here's what I mean. There's a headline from the uh, from the Atlantic that says America's fever of workaholicism or workaholism is finally breaking. Workaholism. Oh, we're walking too much now. Now remember, <laughs> again, remember these are the guys that don't want to work because they're probably still living in their parents' basements and complaining about how society's not giving them a hundred thousand dollar year job, and they have this degree for underwater basket weaving. Yes, I'm talking about largely in my generation, which I apologize for every single day because my generation is not what is deemed in the mainstream media, at least in large part. There's a sect of it. And they're ridiculous, but they get all the attention, and it's just not fair, man. Here's what they say. One of the weirdest economic stories of the past half century is what happened to rich Americans, and especially rich American men at work. Now, again, I want to preface this by saying everything you're about to hear, they've created a scenario to destroy, and then they blame the American society and capitalism and free markets. In general, they say... Poor people work more than wealthy people. <laughs> I, before we go any further, we have to stop there because show of hands, does that true? Is that really true? If you're a business owner and you're relatively successful, maybe you just opened up a third or second or fourth shop and you're hiring more individuals, um, are you not working as much as the poor people that you're hiring? <laughs> this just shows how stupid they are. In general, poor people work more than wealthy people. Not true. The premise right there just shatters the entire article. But we'll continue. The story is consistent across countries. For example, people in Cambodia work much more than people in Switzerland and across time. For example, Germans in the 1950s worked almost twice as much as they do today. Again, the premise is completely wrong and they're stupid. But we'll continue. Starting in the 1980s in the United States, the saga reversed itself. The highest-earning Americans worked longer and longer hours in defiance of expectations or common sense. The members of this group, who could have been bought, who could have bought anything they wanted with their wealth, bought more work. Specifically, from 1980 to 2005, the richest 10% of married men increased their work hours by uh, more than any other group of married men by roughly five hours a week or 250 hours a year. Now, I want to stop there for a second. What happened in 1980? I was not born yet, so you probably have a better speculation than myself, but I can tell you that in the 1980s and in 1980, then that's when we saw a major shift from the liberal socialist Democrat policies of Jimmy Carter into the conservative Republican policies of Ronald Reagan. What happened under the free market laissez-faire capitalist system of Ronald Reagan in the 1980s? People saw the opportunity to actually work and see the benefit and the reward from said work by actually putting in the effort. Again, Back to the original policies and the philosophy that we had in this nation of you put in the work and you get the reward, equal opportunity, and you actually get to reap what you sow based on how much effort you put into it. Seems valid, right? You put work in, 
and then you get reward. Even if you're successful, you put more work in it, you get more reward, and you have a steady foundation with that. Those that don't have that foundation, they put the hard work in, and they started building a foundation because imagine that the American dream was why alive and well in the 1980s, coming out of the Jimmy Carter era, reversing ridiculously high inflation rates, reversing a stagnant economy, reversing the opportunity for just the rich white people or whatever they say, the elites in Washington, D.C., just controlling you through their liberal socialist policies. We created a, a an economy for everybody to flourish and have a good time all at the same time, right? Not popular for the Democrat policies. I continue, in 2019, they say, I call this, this is them saying, I call this phenomenon workism. In a time of declining religious, uh, re- religiousity, uh, religiousity? I don't even think that's a word. Rich Americans seem to turn their career to fill the spiritual vacuum at the center of their life. For better or very often for worse, their desk had become their altar. Since then, the concept of workism has been attached to a range of cultural and political phenomena, including declining fertility trends in the West. I blamed workism for U.S. policies that uh, that resist national parental and sick leave because of an elite preference for maximizing the public's attachment to the labor force. We don't have time to read much more of this because we got to take a break in a minute. But the position they're taking is that we put in too much work. We focus too much on the materialistic starting in the 1980s under that Ronald Reagan. And now we're starting to decline in our work and the rich people are reaping and taking advantage of. Why is that shift? Going from working really hard to being able to take advantage and actually grow and expand and be able to build your foundation and succeed to now the rich can lay off and they can continue to make money while the poor don't have any opportunities. What changed right around that 2019 time or even before that, right around the 2012 time or before that as well? What changed? Huh. I'll have to think about that one for a second. We'll do that when we come back here for a Tuesday on The Voice Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. 24 minutes past the hour. So we have Democrats... Trying to say that rich people get richer while the poor never have an opportunity. That class warfare, that division, that identity politics that's going to be the future and the ongoing battle of identity politics is the focal point for Democrats. So we need to be very clear. On this. I guess it's not even a political thing of Republican-Democrat. It is elite and not elite. It is socialist and non-socialist. It is... Communist and non-communist. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, we have the elite Republicans as well, don't we? I mean, this really started back in the George W. Bush era as well with the government bailouts and the bailouts of the auto industry, the bailouts of the banking industry, and this divide of the classes, if you want to call it, which I hate talking about the classes of the poor people and the rich people. They're arbitrary words that uh, don't really mean anything. We we change the barrier line of what's considered poor and rich all the time. Remember Barack Obama's, oh, if you make less than $250,000, now it's $230,000, now it's $120,000. Uh, 
They changed it all the time. And if you make less than this, then all of a sudden you're not going to have to pay for health insurance. You're not going to have to do this X, Y, or Z. They change it arbitrarily anytime. But let's just, for the sake of argument here, go along with it for a better understanding for the general population. According to them, they say back in the 1980s, things started changing where the more you worked, the more prosperous you became. Which, hence, that's the American dream, is it not? You put in the effort, then you get the reward back at the end of the day or the opportunity for the reward at the end of the day. doesn't always happen. Sometimes there is a flop, unfortunately, but guess what? You try some and you win some, you lose some. That's just the way the world works. That's the real world. doesn't mean that you're a victim of society in some way or someone's trying to keep you down. But then things started to change. In 2019, the workism hit is what they called. But here's what they say. Then the pandemic hit. I don't know how the forcible end of white-collar commutes and the demise of the default, uh, default office would change the affluent attitudes of Americans. I assumed that remote work would make certain aspects of workism even more insidious. Researchers at Microsoft found that the boomlet in online meetings was published uh, showing the number of hours that worked. But individuals began working less... Since then, the concept of workism has been attached to the range of cultural and political phenomena, including the declining of fertility. Uh, they blamed workism, yada, yada. They just finished up on emails and working out on the computer was always a leaky affair while working home uh, with COVID that there would be a flood. But according to Washington University researchers, they concluded that since 2019, rich Americans have worked less and less and less. In full reverse of the past 50 years, the highest educated, highest earning, and longest working men reduced their working hours the most during the pandemic by the highest earners, cutting 10% of men worked 77 fewer hours in 2022. And while they say, and while it's true, that those that are quote-unquote rich got richer, they cut back their hours. What changed? What type of economic system changed to where when you put in the effort, you got the reward back? And now they say the highest 10% of earners in the country work 77 fewer hours in 2022 after years of putting so many hours in to reap the rewards, and they still were able to gain. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the great reset that we've been concerned about for oh so long with the quote-unquote rich and I mean the corrupt rich, the ones that try to abuse you rich, the ones that don't give a crap about you rich, the ones that are so big that they're too big to fail rich, they're the ones putting in less hours because they've been able to hit that threshold to make you go out and continue to buy a vaccine that you don't necessarily need. Go out and get the product that you don't necessarily need or have dominance over every market of every product that you do need, and they don't have to care any longer being able to work you to the bone and you not be able to reap that reward. While they say that the uh, global economy fell during the COVID-19 pandemic and that the top, what, 1% got in extremely richer? Why is that? Because they shut you off. They told you to go home. They told you to shut your business down. They told you not to go to work a day in and day out. And then they continued to reap it in because we bought their product without creating our own products on our own. Progressives, socialists, elitists, dominating the society and i think it's time for us to recognize that and realize what's really going on here let's more coming up stay here the voice of reason with andy hoosier when reason meets radio this is the voice of reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Darn right of his last half hour of the program. Good golly. I know we've been kind of on a different path today with this article, but it's fascinating to me to show that while they try to make a point about how bad conservative values are of putting in the effort and the idea of free markets and laissez-faire capitalist system of putting in the effort and then getting the reward back, they try to demonize it by writing an article that kind of proves their point that while conservatives were in office and running things, then we actually had that opportunity and then it all went away when the whole Great Reset stuff happened with the COVID pandemic and everything of the sort. <laughs> Over the break, I uh, I was scrolling through some of the comments on the social media as we live stream all over the place, and I had seen someone had sent me a TikTok. Yes, I do have a TikTok channel. I don't use it much, but it's there, which you can find me at Who's Your Reason on TikTok. <laughs> and, uh, I, if I had the audio, I would play it on the air. Maybe I'll have to try and find a way to get it on here, but a uh, kid was working at Starbucks crying, crying on his TikTok because he said, this is why we need to unionize. This is why we need to band together with uh, collective bargaining, Because literally sobbing during this video, saying, because I can't believe they booked me for more than 25 hours this week and I had to work. I had to work from open to close on a one day of the weekend. There's four of us working here, and there are just so many people at the Starbucks, and I just I can't handle it, and it's overwhelming, and they don't allow us them off, and there's four of us working, and there's so many people. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm just... <laughs> uh, the whole idea of you know putting in the work and actually getting the reward. Apparently, there's a part of the generation that just doesn't grasp that tech, uh, that concept. Which is why, by golly, we need collective bargaining so we can say, "Oh no, 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 no! I'm not working as hard as you want me to, but you still need to give me all the benefits." Come on, man. Let's get into what's trending of the day. What do you say? What's trending today? <laughs> I for, Probably this is the industry that you don't mention that to with how many hours they put in in order to be where they're at. Excited to have on the program here. As we talk about the health industry, obviously the COVID-19 pandemic created uh, a focal point in the healthcare industry and your own personal health. And then as things have progressed between the changing of Obamacare and then COVID and then the vaccines and with what's going on with patients and the bills that you may see at the end of the month, then uh, do you trust the medical industry? Do you trust hospitals as we can Continue on down this road and the discussion of what healthcare actually looks like. Really happy to have on the program here. He's a general surgeon at uh, in Long Island in Rockville Center. It is Dr. Daniel Haller with us here. Doctor, how are you, my friend? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, appreciate that. Let me. I got to ask you. I mean, how many hours have you put in? Uh, you know, studying in college and becoming a doctor. I mean, uh, he, he had to work 25 hours at Starbucks, and he had a line of people, and he he needs to unionize. I mean, he's just working way too many hours and too hard. <laughs> I'm not even sure what too many hours and too hard means at this point in my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as an intern, we were definitely working more than 110, 115 hours a week. Mm. I'd probably say on the average, I put in about 80 hours a week. Wow. Yeah. Now. And that's just normal. That's just standard practice for you, right? That's just normal. Yeah, that's just normal. Unbelievable. Let's talk about the healthcare industry over the last few years uh, with COVID. From you, obviously, I'm sure you've seen some major changes, not just with policy with what you guys do, but with the COVID-19 pandemic in general. Has there been a change in mood, I guess, with individuals wanting to come to the hospital day in and day out with needing operations and needing uh, different uh, procedures? Um. I would say as a whole, it has not changed. Most people come when necessary. Um, every now and then I get someone who finds the hospital uh, distasteful and tries to do everything in their power not to come, sometimes to their own medical health detriment. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, we can see that one. Uh, this No Surprises Act that came out in 2020, uh, talk about what this is because there's been, obviously there's there's been concern about insurance and with the changing of the laws with insurance, Obamacare that started way back when, uh, some of the changes the Trump administration had done as well. But what first off, what is the No Surprises Act? All right, so let, let's first, by just getting it out there, that uh, the, the health care in the United States is considered by most to be the best health care in the world. Yes. That's why all farm people come here um, to, to get their advanced health care. Um, we do not have a health care problem in the United States. We have a health insurance problem in the United States. Mm. And what's happening is that uh, for years the insurance companies have become more and more powerful and they're taking people's premiums, but yet not paying out in order to ensure they get quality health care. Uh, we see that in a lot of things. Um, let's say medications, for instance. You've been, you could be on a medication for two, three, four years after looking and trying to find a medication that works for you. You can be on the medication for two, three years. And then one January, your insurance company will say, you know what? That medication is no longer formulary by us, and we don't cover it. Interesting. And now you have to go find a new medication. Or, for instance, my office, I'm a surgeon, sometimes I need CAT scans. I'll call, I will call an insurance company to get authorization for a CAT scan, and they'll say, no, we don't approve it. We don't think the patient needs a CAT scan. Why, why just, is that? Why, why did they start coming out with that and start denying basic practices like that? So they are for profit, trying to create as much profit as possible. And let's say they do this to 100 of my patients. And let's say we can't fight them for 100 of the patients. That means a certain percentage of those patients will not get a CAT scan, which means they will not have to pay out of, pocket, out of their pocket to provide the services that the patient needs. Sometimes the patient will just go quietly into the night, and sometimes they'll end up in the emergency room with an even worse situation. But they typically don't see long-term costs. They see short-term costs, what they can talk to their stakeholders and shareholders about for quarterly profits, they don't look at the long term about how it affects the quality of care long term and how people will long term potentially get sicker or cost more money on the back end. Sure. This issue with the insurance companies denying some of these uh, either medications, pharmaceuticals or, or treatments or even scans and tests and stuff, is it something that's progressed over the years or has it always kind of lingered in the background and always been there and just gotten worse? It's gotten, it's, it's always been there and it's gotten worse. Um, and, and we can then segue into the No Surprises Act where, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing that it happened right after COVID where you have all of these healthcare practitioners risking their lives in the hospital every day. Uh, and these are, these, these are not elective cases, meaning, you don't go during when COVID first hit in, in uh, February, March, April of 2020. Nobody was electively going to their doctor in the office. These people were coming in troves, especially in New York, to hospitals. This was all emergency care. Mm. Now, as an as a someone who takes care of people in an emergency situation like myself, we can have a choice: we either take insurance or we don't take insurance. My group we opted to not take insurance because we don't really. We saw some of the fees that they were paying on these contracts for in-network, and we said, you know, those fees are minuscule. The volume that we would have to do in order to pay our malpractice insurance, pay our overhead, and actually take a profit was, was so 
was so astronomical that we wouldn't be able to give quality individualized care to people. So then you have COVID, which comes along, and all of these people are just running to hospitals. A lot of them are dying. And you have someone like myself taking care of people in emergency situations where we don't take their insurance. And we go ahead and we build our insurance companies and we ask for a fair payment. Yeah. A lot of insurance companies denied that fair payment, tried to pay the in-network rates. And this has been going on way before COVID. This has been going on for 30, 40 years, where if you need emergency care, sometimes you get a bill from a doctor who took care of you who was not part of your network. Now, for the longest time, doctors would argue with the insurance companies, get paid a decent amount, and then they would basically throw out the bills of what's called the balance bill. The balance bill, to define it, is anything which is left over from what you charged and what the insurance company paid. Well, along comes the government in the early 2000s and then makes throwing out these balance bills illegal. It calls it billing fraud. So the doctors are saying, oh, now you're forcing me to bill patients? Okay, I'll send them bills. Well, doctors send patients the bills, but nothing actually forces them to collect the money. But they were getting bills, and patients don't like getting bills, even if they're told you don't have to pay it. And at some point, media gets involved, and they say bad doctors are sending these massive bills to patients. So the government said, you know what, we have to create something against these surprise bills. And let's call it the No Surprises Act. And bipartisans got together, and they agreed uh, on a, a statute. And the truth is, doctors, the AMA, were involved in creating the statute. And if you ask most doctors who take care of patients in an emergency situation, situation. They don't want to send patients bills. In fact, they don't want to talk to the patient about money or finances at all. Yeah. They want to take care of someone who needs something emergently. They don't want to stress them about finances. And they want to be assured that the insurance company is going to pay them a reasonable fee for the services they provide in an emergency situation. So this was all well and good. And I would say most doctors and the medical organizations were happy with the No Surprises Act, the way it was originally created. It was a place for doctors to argue with insurance companies and get arbitration that would help doctors actually get paid. It was actually something potentially useful. Well, comes 2021, around October time, and the Biden administration pushed that the only thing or the most heavily weighted factor on what doctors should get reimbursed for providing these emergency services in a surprise bill kind of way is the in-network rate. Hmm. So wait, hold on a second. You mean that doctors who don't take insurance are now going to be lumped in with doctors who do take insurance and get paid in-network <laughs> rates for everything? Funny how so that works. Essentially, doctor, essentially what, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Doctor, what, the, I'm sorry. No, yeah. I'm sorry. We got to take a hard break. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Uh, fantastic. I want to continue this conversation because this is fascinating to n understand what goes on from behind the scenes that we as the customers and as the patients don't see when we're just frustrated and just want to lash out on trying to understand this because it sounds like the common denominators here are the insurance companies and the government. Stay the hell out of our way and let the doctors actually take care of us and do what we need to do. We'll continue that conversation when we come back here right around the corner for a Tuesday here on The Voice Reason. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today for a post-Monday celebration. I don't care the greatest day of the entire week. I don't care what anybody else says. You're excited. I'm excited. You scream ice cream. We all scream for ice cream. Because why the heck not? we got a lot to get to tomorrow. We have a congressman on the program, Congressman Frank Lucas from the Oklahoma area. We'll talk about the debt ceiling conversation. Kevin McCarthy sitting down with the Biden administration. Joe Biden coming out and saying, well, you need to show me your budget proposal before we even talk. Really? Really? Because I, I think I remember which side actually holds the power of the purse and decides on financial uh, spending in the country. We'll get to that tomorrow as uh, that's going to be a big one. Right now we're hanging out with Dr. Daniel Haller. He is a general surgeon in the Long Island area at Rockville Central in New York as we talk about the No Surprises Act and uh, the, how the government and the insurance companies working to uh, kind of dominate the healthcare industry. Like you said, we still have the greatest healthcare in the world with the technology, with the people that put in the effort. We have the great, which is everybody across the world wants to come to the United States, but we found ways to make it insanely expensive. And then while insurance companies come out and say, we're going to double your premiums, we're going to increase your deductibles. And oh, by the way, we're not going to cover your pharmaceuticals or your certain tests that you actually need because we need to run you through the mill uh, because why the hell not? And then not cover half of this stuff. The question is, doctor, is where do we go from here and how do we fix this? I mean, there's different ideas of uh, people completely getting away from the healthcare industry and just going holistic and alternative medicines, which I think is beneficial to a degree. Uh, but then we have those that are trying to go with maybe the uh, kind of the group uh, plans instead of actually getting personal health care. Uh, other individuals that are doing like the private memberships with family physicians. Where's the future look like for the healthcare industry, do you think? That, that is an excellent question. So what, what we're seeing now is because the government uh, in cahoots with the insurance companies are limiting what doctors can make, you're finding less and less doctors willing to do the hard jobs, which is the emergency jobs. For instance, on Long Island, uh, if you have a laceration, a cut somewhere on your body, it will be very hard to get a plastic surgeon to come to the emergency room to come and fix you. They're just not coming in anymore. So what we're talking about is a lack of access to health care, not even quality health care, to health care at all because of these, these changes. And what I think is going to happen, as you mentioned, is these you know, people are now starting to pay cash for concierge-style medicine uh, where you pay your doctor nothing to do with insurance and then you have unlimited access to that doctor. So we're talking about better quality medicine, but that comes at a cost. Yeah. And unfortunately, like you had said before, the insurance companies keep raising premiums, but yet decreasing your benefits that you can potentially use. So what I see, I see that we thought there was a two-class system before. I think it's going to get even worse. I think it's going to be people with insurance and people who don't want to use their insurance because they would rather pay cash for better services. It is a concern uh, in just about the last minute or so as we kind of wrap things up here. Is there a way to hold the, the insurance companies accountable? And is there a way to start bringing them in and actually covering things when they actually offer it? Is it competition in the market? Is it flooding the market with more companies? What do we do about this? Uh, most, most states uh, limit the insurance companies that can come in. Um, unfortunately, the states are not limiting the insurance companies uh, or monitoring them, I should say, in terms of why didn't you pay for this or why why aren't you covering these services? Um, there, there is no 
oversight into this. And if you were to, let's say in New York, send something to the Department of Financial Services, which is in charge of the health insurances, uh, they typically do not have anything of, uh, of useful uh, nature or value to, to give back to you. Um, so unfortunately, the insurance companies have become so uh, uh, embedded in the legal systems in terms of their lobbying capabilities. We're, we're talking about United Healthcare has like a half a billion dollar lobbying fund yeah. for legal bribery in order to, to get what they need in terms of legislature. So what I would suggest is everyone who feels affected by this or feels that they're going to be affected, they need to start really speaking out to their local representatives and to let them know that this is not okay. We, we will not stand by and let our, our money be taken by insurance companies and yet not get the health care that we so deserve. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the best way. They just have to speak out to the, legislat- the, the, the legislators that are representing them and make sure that they know that we are not okay with what's going on in America right now. It's time to speak out. Like you said, start reining them in. I find it ironic how we can't have a lemonade stand at the edge of the road because we don't have the proper approval from the government to sell that stuff, but yet the insurance company can decide what they're going to charge you and what they're going to cover or not cover. It really shows you right the uh, inside job going on between the two there. It's Dr. Daniel Holler. Doctor, it's great to have you on the program. What a great conversation. we got to get you back on again real soon, my friend. Okay, excellent. Take care. Have a great one. You as well. Very good stuff. Interesting. We'll break that down when we come back tomorrow. Until then, as he said, it's time to speak out. This is The Voice Reason. Let's have our own reason and our catalyst for change in your local community. We'll see you on the radio tomorrow.